Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and yes, folks, it is time. It is time. This Saturday, we are racing in the Javelina 100, 100-miler here just outside of Scottsdale in Arizona, and I am excited. I am ready. It's going to be amazing, and if you are going to be racing or at least going to be there this weekend at Javelina 100, whether it is the 100-miler or the 100K or just spectating, I definitely would love to see you, so come say hi. Um, I'll be a bid pickup pretty much all day uh, on that Friday from like 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. probably. Uh, I do want to meet as many people as possible. So please come find me. Come say hi. Um, I would love to meet you. But regardless, um, this episode is going to go through what my mind's like, what the last four weeks of training have been, and what the lessons have been, how I'm feeling before the race, how I'm preparing, answering some common questions. I know I've gotten a lot of questions about uh, pacing Sally McRae 70 miles at Moab, so close to Javelina 100, such as, why did you do that? What was the thought process? What was the experience like? I'm going to share all that in there as well. Also, a little bit of insight into my tapering to help you with tapering and what I plan to do for race day strategy. Now, before I dive into this episode, I just want to say, if you have not heard already, we are launching coaching here at Everyday Ultra. Yep, that is right. I am taking on clients to help you achieve your biggest ultra running goals, even if you have a very, very busy life. So what does that mean? If you're someone who is looking to complete your first 100 miler or ultra or 50K or hit your PR, whatever your goal is, if you want to be able to do that in a way where you can get in good training despite having a busy schedule, whether it's a full-time job, you know, being a family uh, member and having kids and having a spouse, I'm going to be able to do that for you because what I'm doing with clients is I'm creating highly personalized training plans, one-on-one coaching, feedback pretty much constantly from me on how you can improve your own running to hit your ultra goals without sacrificing all the other important priorities of your life. So what's super cool is since launch, we've already got tons of clients on board, which is super, super great. And we've already seen just some amazing results. So um, what you get in the coaching, by the way, is you get um, personalized programming backed by science, tailored to your schedule, your needs. And don't worry, I will make you feel like you are my only clients. I hear a lot of big feedback about coaches is they feel like they're kind of being neglected. That will not be the case in our coaching program. You also get one-on-one calls with me, group calls with other clients as well, where we go through a topic together, unlimited support via text, and also the ability to pivot anything on your training plan if you need to, along with nutrition, hydration, pacing, any types of tips that you want in those areas. So if you're looking to hop on board with Everyday Ultra Coaching, feel free to give me an email at everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com, and you can send me an email saying, I'm interested in coaching, and I would love to have a chat with you about how I can help you hit your goals. Um, so feel free to do that, or you can DM me on Instagram at Joe Corsium with just the word coaching, and I can send over the information too. So would love to work with you, would be such an honor to help you hit your ultra goals, and uh, super excited to roll out the Everyday Ultra Racing Team. 
All right, everybody. Now let's get into Javelina 100. So um, we are launching this new series, or I should say we launched this new series called The Training Log, where last month we had Zach Bitter on and I was walking through him because Zach is my coach. And we walked through my training for Javelina 100 going into the peak months for Javelina and what that looked like. Um, and so the last month is executing on that plan and also going through, obviously, the taper over the past two weeks before Javelina 100 this Saturday. Now, what have those last few weeks been looking like? So I'll kind of give you a high level breakdown of like what my training looked like. And the reason why I'm sharing this too is if you're thinking about training for a hundred mile race or anything like that, you can kind of get, you know, a good sense of what kind of a training plan looks like. So I'll kind of go through like what's my October has really been, um, just so you can get a good insight into what that training has looked like. Actually, I'll do last week of September and October. So I've been doing a lot of high volume weeks over the past few weeks leading up into Javelina 100 before the taper, um, mostly because I just want to get that good time on feet. I want to get the pacing down whole nine yards from there, right? So just kind of going through some of my weekly mileage from September 25th to October 1st, it was a 100 mile week. Uh, October 2nd to October 8th was a 92-mile week, and then October 9th to October 15th was a 105-mile week. Now, in that October 9th to October 15th, that did have 70 miles of pacing, uh, Sally, which again, I'll talk about as well, but those last three weeks before the taper have been pretty, pretty big. Um, now, for me, the, the one thing I want to caveat with this is that if you're listening to this, you don't have to be putting up 100-mile weeks in order to be successful at your next 100-mile race, um, because I like to go by time-based training, so even even though I'm hitting these mileage marks, my concern isn't hitting an arbitrary number of mileage each week. It's getting down certain hours of training with the exception of the pacing, which I'll kind of talk about uh, again later. But when we boil that down into time, um, 14 hours were on that week of September 25th to October 1st, um, 13 hours flat October 2nd to October 8th. I did have to take a day off of running that week because I had, um, a pretty jam-packed day at work and so I did take one day off of running that week which is totally okay to do if you're listening and you have a busy schedule and then granted a lot of this was pacing <laughs> because I'm looking at the time of it is 37 hours um, through October 9th to October 15th where again a majority of that was pacing Sally so that was kind of like the buildup into the weeks. Um, my main focus during those buildups was really my long run development. And as you're getting closer to your 100 mile race, that should be your long run or that should be one of your biggest focuses. If you are going for an 100K or 100 mile or even 50K, 50 miler, any kind of ultra is your long run specificity. So what do I mean by that? Generally, your weekends are consisting of or I shouldn't say just weekends. Whenever you have the most availability during your weeks, those days should be focused focus on really nailing down your long run strategy so that you can ultimately, number one, build the physiological endurance to be able to handle the distance you're about to run, but two, being able to test pacing, nutrition, hydration, all the things that are so much more concrete to test during those longer hours than you can really test if you were doing that in like an hour or you know even a two hour run, right? I usually think four hours is the great way where you can really start to benchmark a lot of things and kind of you know see how the fatigue hits the body and how it affects the other inputs. So 
generally that is kind of like my um, focus during these last weeks. What that really looked like is um, for two weeks in a row, I was doing back to back four and a half hours and four hour runs. I think one week I did uh, one five hour run and then a four hour run back to back on Saturday and Sunday. And I usually like those back to back long runs if you have the volume to do so when you're training for a hundred mile race. The reason why I do like that a lot is because you get that benefit, the more mental benefit of waking up the next day after a very long run and getting back out there and getting the time on your feet even though you might feel a little bit fatigued from the day before you just went through a big run it kind of almost simulates that feeling of running on tired legs um, just as you would experience in an ultra right so I love the back-to-back long run development and that was a lot what I was doing um, before the weeks leading into the pacing with Sally so that's the things I was focusing on Um, and then in terms of my micro focuses which is something that I always suggest that you have during these long runs was really nailing down a pacing strategy. That was my micro focus. The biggest goal for me at Javelina this year is I obviously want to get a golden ticket, but the process goal of getting that outcome goal is I'm going to have to run a smartly paced race. Last year, I did not run the most smartest paced race. Um, and this was before I kind of learned a little bit more about, um, you know, uh, what it really takes to run out there. Um, So I'm looking to run a pretty even split race this year. And so um, with me pushing towards the end. And so to practice that in my long runs, I always focused on keeping as even as a pace as possible. And if not, a slightly negative split so that I can finish stronger. Now, the cool thing was I would simulate race day in a way where I would wake up early in the morning and start running. And then gradually throughout that long run, it would get hotter and hotter, just as similar as it would be at Javelina 100. And I always suggest with the long runs that you're doing closer to the general race that you simulate those race conditions as much as possible if you can, um, during your final long runs so that you can get a feel of how your body's going to react when you're actually going on race day. Um, if you can control all those things or, you know, the, the cards kind of play out to that scenario, right? So that's what I would do in there. And I was pretty consistent with this as well. I mean, if you're looking at a lot of my long runs, they were very evenly paced, um, even if not like, you know, getting towards a negative split on some of them, which was super, super cool to see. And uh, I was really building the confidence around, hey, like, can I push when my body is feeling a little tired? Um, I never really felt like super smoked on any of these long runs, which was good too. Um, but still, like, you know, when you're four hours into a long run and you still got 30 minutes to go, that can totally feel like, you know, you've ran for four hours. You know what I mean? So getting that mental boost is really, really cool. Um, and it's something that is, is carrying with me a lot on Javelina because even last year when I was training for Javelina, I would do a similar training schedule, but I would definitely feel a lot more worked after those long runs than I did this year. So I'm feeling like my durability and pacing is getting stronger as well. And uh, hopefully on on Saturday, I can go through and execute that in a way. I shouldn't say hopefully, I will. I will go out and execute that in a way that's going to um, really get a a good split. Um, So that was really a lot of the two weeks heading up to it. And then in between those weeks, I would usually do one uh, threshold workout. So I would do one threshold workout where I'm either doing a tempo run or I'm doing long intervals. So those intervals can last anywhere from 12 to 15 minutes. And if I was doing a tempo run, it would be a 20 minute tempo run. And this would be at threshold pace, which not to get too in the nitty gritty, threshold pace would pretty much equate to running at a six or a seven on a scale of 10 in terms of effort. And generally that's an effort that you can hold for about an hour um, before your body feels 
theoretically um, can't handle it before. So doing that allows you to build up your um, aerobic threshold, which is just super, super great uh, training to do when you are going for a hundred miler. I think it's even better than doing sprints because um, it doesn't tap into that really deep um, uh, fast twitch muscles that are generally needed more for like a marathon as opposed to um, a, a long ultra endurance race. So um, I always like to keep an element of that at least once a week. Um, but I don't like to do twice a week because I don't want to ruin, um, or I shouldn't say ruin, but I don't want to fit overly fatigue my legs before going into those long runs. So I would do one of those runs per week. And then throughout the week would just pretty much be easy runs. So there would be easy runs at uh, like pretty much a two out of three out of 10 in terms of intensity. And I would go anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, pretty easy going, um, nothing to it. Um, just so I can make sure my body's fully recovered from the workouts, but also primed and ready to go for those long runs. Also forgot to add that in those long runs, I generally do those at a two out of three out of 10 in terms of intensity. So two, two or three out of 10 in terms of intensity. So, I mean, basically that was kind of like my two weeks of training before the week of pacing with Sally. Now, again, I, I got this question so many times, right? Um, you know, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Sally McRae, incredibly talented runner. Actually, our most recent episode before this one on the Everyday Ultra podcast was my good friend Sally. She is incredible. My gosh, if you haven't listened to any podcast with her um, do yourself a favor and please do because she is one of the most inspiring human beings I've ever met in my entire life. She's a dear friend. She is a warrior. She is a strong, strong woman and just an incredible person all around. So definitely dive into Sally's world if you haven't already. But um, so for those who don't know, I actually paced Sally for 100 miles at Bigfoot uh, 200 back in August. So early August, I paced her 100 miles. And um, I told her, I said, hey, if you need help at Moab, let me know. And, um, I'll be happy to help if needed. Um, we were getting pretty close to the race and I kind of figured she already had help cause she told me she had pacers. She told me she had crew, but, um, it turned out that one of the pacers, um, that she was going to have had to drop out and <clears throat> Excuse me. So I got an email from um, Eddie, who is her husband, asking, uh, hey, are you guys meeting me and Leo Fung, who's also the crew guy who was on uh, the last episode with Sally, uh, asking if, hey, are, are you two available to help out during that week? Um, we're kind of down a few people and would love to jump in. So for me, I'm looking at the dates and I'm like, this is essentially my peak week for Havelina 100. And in the essence of it, right? Um, I knew that I was going to be pacing a long amount of time. I didn't know what the distance was going to be, but I felt like it was going to be at least 30 miles. Um, so just knowing how far apart these aid stations are and these 200s, I knew I'd be probably pacing at least 30 miles, um, and just getting that out there. So, um, kind of knowing all these things, um, into advance, I was like, okay, 30 miles. I looked at my program schedule for that week and I saw that I had back to back, um, four hour long runs, which to me, if I'm doing four hours, usually equates to about 30 miles. So I knew that weekend I'd be probably doing about 60 miles. Um, again, I go by time, but not mileage, but I'm just kind of backing out in my head that I'd be doing 60 miles back to back. So I said, okay, well, 60 miles there, or I can do like 30 miles ish. Maybe I wasn't aware of kind of the sections I was pacing when I agreed to it, but, um, I basically looked at that and said, okay, I can, I can probably handle that in terms of time. But I think the most important thing, and I think this is the biggest takeaway from the whole experience is like, number one, um, Sally is such a dear friend to me and she is an incredible person. And I want 
to, to help her out. And in, in this moment when she wanted help, I wanted to, to step up and help a friend and help her support the schools because I knew Moab was a race that she wanted to win. She wanted to cap off her incredible Grand Slam of 200s. And to go and help her was something that I genuinely wanted to do with all my heart. And for me, doing that help was such a valuable experience to me um, to be wanting to do that um, that I said, hey, like, this is this is what I want to do, um, even if the training plan suggests otherwise. And so I think when it comes to moments in your life, like let's just say you have, you know, uh, an opportunity that comes up that, you know, you and your heart know that is something that you would be stoked to do, that you would love to do, that basically if you regret it or if you didn't do, you would regret. And that was the one thing I told myself. I was like, if I if I pass up on this opportunity, I'm going to regret it. And I know I really want to help Sally out to crush this race. So for me, um, it was a no brainer. And I suggest anyone who's like looking at a training plan, even if it's like your peak week and everything like that, if you get an opportunity that in your heart, you know, you want to do, don't be afraid to just say, Hey, I want to do this. Even if it sacrifices a long run, even if it sacrifices, you know, this certain thing in there, because in the end of the day, this is the way that I look at it is one or two days in your training plan over the grand scheme of your training program, assuming that you've been training for a while really doesn't make that big of a difference. And even so, in this case for me, I knew I was going to be having time on feet. I knew I was still going to get the mileage in. And so for me, it was an easy decision to say yes. Number one, because I wanted to help Sally out for sure. Number two, because I knew that um, it would still be good aerobic training because I kind of be out there. And then number three, um, I knew that um, I just wanted to you know, be a part of this experience and that I would regret it if I didn't. And uh, I just didn't want that, um, you know, uh, to, to, or I didn't want the training to be a resistor for that. Right. So, um, that was why I agreed to it. So I sent the email to Eddie and I said, Hey, I'm in booked my travel, ready to go. Let's do it. And, um, really it wasn't until like closer to the race where we were kind of diving through who was going to pace who that, um, I was going to get the last 70 miles, um, which was fine by me too, because in my head, again, I knew I was going to do 60 miles that weekend anyway. So I saw 70 and I said, okay, that's great. Um, and then I knew also for me that even though it was a lot more time on feet, I knew that the pace we would be moving at would be much slower than if I were to just, you know, kind of run 70 miles at like a hundred mile pace. Right. So I knew that the risk was very low for this. I knew that going in just physically. Um, and I just wanted to be a part of it so, so much. So that was kind of the driving factor and what led me to do so there. Um, if you want to listen to a recap of how that 70 mile pacing, uh, went, uh, definitely listen to the last podcast we did with Sally. We talk all about that stories, um, takeaways, nitty gritty details. It's, it was so, such an awesome experience. I'm so glad that I, I did that because number one, she won the freaking race. Sally's incredible. She won that race, won the race, like won her fourth 200 miler this year, um, capping off the journey in just amazing Sally fashion. It was just so, so good to see that. So number one, she won the race, which was just absolutely incredible. And number two, um, just being there to support a friend, um, was such a rewarding experience, um, you know, for, for not just me, but also her as well. So all in all, I am just so happy that I got to do that. And it almost helped me to, 
really conceptualize like what I would have to do at Javelina 100 because Sally inspires me so much and then the moments that I've spent with her on the trail and seeing how she deals with things and seeing her mindset and seeing her execute on her plan I mean even to me like it, it comes off of through osmosis of like you know I get to learn what it's like to you know see a, a professional and a talented athlete like Sally go through things and and to to manage through things so just even seeing her out there has inspired me a lot just mentally of how I'm going to approach the lows that are inevitably going to come at Havelina 100 so even so just to, to get that experience is incredible I always suggest too, like if you have the opportunity to ever um, pay someone in a race like take it um, it is such an awesome experience to be on the other side and to even just like witness someone going through a race like that when it's not you because sometimes like when you're racing and you know you're in mile 80 or mile 70 and things like that like of course, you're going to learn along the way, and that learning is going to be incredibly valuable, but there is something about like observing it from someone else or from the outside and not being in there and also being fresh when you're seeing the race so in-depth from like mile 70 and on, right? I said the same thing about crewing Scott Trayer at Western States 100. Although I wasn't pacing him, I got to learn what he did during the the aid stations and stuff like that, which was super, super cool. So um, it's it, it was a really really big benefit just mentally even just being there too so that was that was a cool experience and super super rad um anywho um all that to say very very good weekend now the question i got was how did i feel afterwards so after pacing i was exhausted because i'd been up for basically 40 hours straight so i was i was awake for nearly two days in a row um and i could barely even stay awake for probably the first 12 hours after it so um for context this was wild so um i had to get to salt lake airport tuesday morning to hop on a 9 a.m flight to go to minneapolis for work and then i was in minneapolis for like 15 hours and then i went straight to tampa for work um for those who aren't familiar i work for a tech startup here in the Arizona area and I do partnerships and um, usually that job requires me to go to different cities and conferences and events with partners to engage them and so um, this just happened to be a pretty pretty busy week and lately it's been pretty busy so it's usually something I have to juggle and manage um, but what happened was my sh I was going to take a shuttle from Moab Utah to Salt Lake City which is about a four-hour shuttle at uh, 5 30 a.m. on Tuesday Sally finished the race, I believe, at if I'm remembering correctly, it was either 12.30 a.m. or 1.30 a.m. I think it was 12.30 a.m. So she finished like 12.30 a.m. on Tuesday. No, it was 1.30 a.m. She finished 1.30 a.m. on Tuesday, and I basically had like three hours or four hours to get ready um, <laughs> to go to the shuttle. And I remember I was falling asleep. I like could not like just get my stuff together. Like I felt like I was drunk. Like it was just massive sleep deprivation. I was hallucinating all over the place. It was crazy. And um shout out to Leo Fung. Um he was taking good care of me. Like he was taking care of a an athlete out there. Um but with that he uh, basically uh, got me to pack up all my stuff, get on the shuttle. I slept in the shuttle and then um, went right to the event at Minneapolis after getting on the plane and flying over there in whole nine yards. Um, so physically, though, I felt fine. I felt fine. I did not feel sore. Um, my feet hurt a little bit, um, which is very 
similar to the other 200 miles I paced. So for context, I paced Cocodona this year with my friend Aaron Fleischer, who's also going to be my crew chief this week at Javelina. Shout out, Aaron. You are the fucking man. Um, <laughs> and uh, But yeah, so I paced him for 70 miles at Cocodona, and then I paced Sally for 100 miles at Bigfoot. And both of those instances, my feet were just... Uh, not just not, not like blisters, but just like sore, like really, really sore. So, um, yeah, they were just super sore, but I think in both scenarios, really the pain did not subside for more than a day. So like at Bigfoot, it was completely healed up the next day. Cocodona was still sore the day after. And then this one, it was still sore the day after too, but that was really the only thing that was super sore on me. And other than that, like legs, everything else, I felt physically fine. I was just really, really tired. And I was just making sure to get in some extra sleep. Um, you know, when I came back from the event at Minneapolis, I got like nine hours of sleep the next day. I slept on the plane. Um, I slept on like Ubers that were taking me from the uh, airport to the hotels. Um, so I was just sleeping at any chance that I could possibly get. And uh, within two days, I was pretty much back to normal. So um, and then obviously I went right into the taper from there. So that was kind of the recap on it. And again, like I felt pretty, pretty good. Um Coming into the first few easy runs of the taper, I felt great. I felt fine. I felt recovered. I felt confident. And so that wasn't a problem as well. And then I was doing shorter kind of runs on the on the weekends relative to the long runs that I was doing just so I could make sure to get, um, you know, that, that, you know, still endurance in, right? So I'm looking at my... Um, Looking at my Strava right now. So basically on that Saturday I did, well, I did two runs. I did one that was like three and a half and then one that was 10. So I did about 14 miles on Saturday and then 14 miles on Sunday at a very easy pace. And both of those felt very, very good. I also did them in relatively warmer temperatures so I can get in some extra heat training, but I'm not too worried about the heat out there as well. And then um, today I did... Uh, 40 minutes easy yesterday. I did an hour easy tomorrow on Thursday, the 26th. I'll probably do another 45 minutes easy. And then, um, I believe on Friday, I'll probably just do like a 30 minute easy. But if I just want to chill, I might just chill. So, and then Saturday we're running hundred miles. So that's kind of the taper and I'm feeling good. Um, one of the things that I do during the taper that I'm continuing to doing th during this thing is, uh, really, really banking sleep. So on average each night, I probably get about seven hours of sleep. Um, during the taper, I try to get about nine hours of sleep each night. And so what I do is because I'm not running as long each morning, I take the extra hours that I'm not running and just sleep a little longer and maybe run later in the day or run later in the morning or anything like that. Um, just so I can bank that sleep. Um, I do this for two reasons. Number one, sleep is the best recovery tool that you can possibly get. So if you want to feel fresh, not just on the trail for your race, but in life, get more sleep. It is, if you can, right? I know it's sometimes not always possible, but you know, in those taper periods, if you generally don't get, you know, a lot of sleep, um, your taper period is a great place to do and get that sleep. Um, so I've been sleeping a lot and that's been a big thing as well. And then the second reason why I do it is because sometimes the night before a race, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate, you don't always sleep that well, right? You have you know, you're excited, you get nervous, like, you know, you just, you don't want to miss your alarm. I've had that so many times before. Where I was like, I don't want to miss my fucking alarm and miss the race. Um, but if you bank the sleep earlier in advance, that one night that you miss the sleep before the race is not really going to do too much damage. So, um, it prevents that from happening, or I should say it prevents the effect from that happening in case there's the scenario that, you know, you don't get good sleep the night before the race. So that's always a suggestion there. Um, I'm going to do an episode all around taper tips too. 
I don't want to go too in depth into it in this episode because I want to kind of talk about Javelina strategy and I know I have a lot of questions that were written in where I kind of want to go over it. Um, but that's kind of the general focus of what I've seen during the taper itself. Um, now, I'll kind of go into some questions just right off the bat in terms of Javelina strategy. So I'll kind of just share it uh, overall um, in the beginning, right? Um, the overall goal is to get a golden ticket. That's probably going to require me to run at least a 1330 out there. I'm just going to guess that. It's going to be at least a 1330 out there. So which means I have to run like about like an eight minute pace um, for the entire time. Do I think it can do it? Absolutely. Is it going to hurt? Absolutely. Uh, do I have to be smart with pacing? Hell yeah. So um, knowing all those three things, um, I know I just have to execute the pacing right and, and you know, have, have a good day out there and make that happen. And that's going to be my strategy. So um, in terms of the pacing strategy, last year I went pretty fast on the first loop, pretty fast on the second loop, and then kind of blood away from there. What I'm planning to do this year is I'm planning to take it really even split this year. So I'm kind of looking at it as like a pace range. So um, right now I'm looking to... Basically, my whole guide map for each loop is running anywhere between a 750 per mile and an 815 per mile. Like, that's going to be my goal. And so, on the times in the beginning, I'm definitely going to creep more towards that 815. Um... Or even so, intermicro on the actual loop, right? So the way that each of the loops work, it's the first loop is 22 miles and the rest of the loops are 19 miles and there's five loops total. Within that loop, the first nine-ish miles or so or 10-ish miles is really like a steady climb uphill. And then the last kind of uh, nine-ish miles are a steady downhill, um, with the exception of the first loop that has a little bit of a climb towards the end. So the way that I'm thinking about doing it is when I'm going up that climb, I really want to hug closer to that 815. And then when I'm doing that gradual downhill, I want to hug closer to that 750. But I know I have that band to play around with so that I'm not locked into a certain pace and I can normalize for the elevation that's coming in there, there as well. So that's kind of like how I'm going to be looking at each of the loops. And if I can maintain that for 100 miles, uh, I'll be in the hunt, which is going to be good. Um, I might need to kick it up a little bit more towards the end. And in my head, I'm telling myself, if I have left to give in the tank towards the last 20 miles, which if I'm racing this correctly, which I plan to do, I will have, I will likely try and kick it up at the end to make my last loop one of my fastest loops. Um, the goal, and I, I talk about this with Zach, who's also racing out there, which will be super cool. We're sharing a crew tent, by the way, um, which is going to be fun. But um, Zach tells me like the, the running a beautiful javelina means like your first and your fifth laps are usually your fastest or one of them is your fastest, right? And so um, ideally the fifth one. And so that's kind of how I want to kind of go about this, but make my fifth lap the fastest, but make my first lap not, you know, as fast as the fifth one. I guess that that makes sense. So I want to run reserved. I want to run strong at the end, and that's going to kind of be my pacing goal throughout the race. Um, and, you know, towards the end, if I, in the last 20 miles, if I know I can run faster than 750, and start to hammer it, I will. Uh, that's going to be pretty hard, but um, we'll see what happens. And I, I guess on loop four, if I have stuff to give, I'm going to pick up my pacer. Um, if I can run below 750 confidently um, at loop four, I, I will do that as well to kind of make up some pace. So that's going to be the goal for like pacing strategy out there. And I do have two different pacers. Number one, I have uh, Nico Teller, um, who shout out Nico, um, listens to the podcast, such a good guy. I actually met him at a 50 mile race here in Arizona called the Mesquite Canyon 50 miler. I met him out here. He was crushing it. He was so good. We were like sharing words of encouragement throughout the race and never heard from him again. And then he, um, uh, 
basically reached out uh, to me after listening to the podcast. And he's like, hey, I heard you were listening, looking for Pacers. I'd be happy to fly out there. He's flying out from Pennsylvania to come uh, and pay, pace me here in Arizona. So shout out to Nico. You're the man. Um, he's super talented runner, super fit, super fast. Um, and yeah, he's going to be awesome, man. So I'm excited to run with Nico Loop 4. And then Loop 5, I have my man, Bryce Brooks, former guest on this podcast. He's part of the Aravipa team here on the marketing team. Also a very talented and fast runner. Um, he's a good friend of mine as well. So he'll be pacing me Loop 5 to bring it home. And I told both of them, I said, if I want to sit at a chair, don't let me fucking sit. If I you know, get into this kind of like moody mood, like, oh, fuck, like, blah, 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 like, totally be a jerk to me, keep me moving, keep me in and out of the aid station, and, um, yeah, just keep it going from there, so they know the drill, uh, they're gonna be pushing me out there, I'm excited for it, it's gonna be super, super fun, and I'm looking to kind of execute that pacing strategy out there in the right way, um, I want to get to some questions on here, I can keep going about strategy, but I know a lot of them, um, have been asked in terms of the questions here. I'm just pulling up my Instagram to get the bank of questions here. Let's see. Where are we at? Why can't I find this? Oh, here we go. Okay. So best, uh, someone asked, what's the best way to heat a climate Michigan here considering Havelina hundred? Yes. Great question. So, um, the best way to a climate is first of all, with heat acclimatization, acclimatization, acclimation. I think it's acclimation, heat acclimation. Yes. Jeez, Joe, come on, man. Um, heat acclimation. So the best way to really go about heat acclimation is not as aggressive as you probably think. So a lot of people think that they need to heat a climate uh, or get used to the heat pretty early on in their training, um, but that's actually not the case. You really only need about um, 14 days of solid heat exposure to get the full benefits that you're going to get on race day. So usually what that means is if it's hot outside, run at the hottest part of the day during your training runs, and that'll allow you to heat a climate. Now, I know in the schedule or that que- the person that wrote in this question um, said that they're from Michigan, cold this time of year, probably not as much heat. My advice for that is if you can do your runs and then if you have access to a sauna right after that run, get into the sauna as soon as possible. Sauna has been shown to be uh, way better than just overdressing yourself, which is a method that a lot of people do do. Um, but um, scientifically, usually the sauna is going to be a lot more of a heat uh, adaptation benefit than if you were to dress yourself up in clothes. And the reason why you want to do it after, right after you do a run is because your heart rate's going to be a little elevated and that's going to simulate the effects of you actually running out in the heat when your heart rate is elevated so that you get that full heat adaption exposure from there. So if you do that every day for, I would say like, you know, within 14 days for the race, if you take, you know, a day or two of a break before the race, you should be pretty heat acclimated and ready to go. For sitting in the sauna, I would say like 30 minutes or so. Um, doesn't have to be too, too crazy. Um, sometimes I like to sit in for an hour when I was prepping for Black Canyon earlier this year. I was, I was sitting in there for an hour when it was kind of cold here in Arizona. Um, so yeah, 30 minutes uh, if you can in the sauna. Uh, right after a run, that's going to be the way to really, really heat a climate. Um, if you don't have access to a sauna, um, then the next best step is to overdress yourself. So going outside and wearing like way too many layers out there so that you pretty much are sweating like crazy and just like over simulating that 
um, heat exposure when you're outside, um, that's going to be the best way to do. So go for your runs and wear a shit ton of layers on there. And that's going to be able to be a form of heat adaptation as well. Again, 14 days before the race, if you do that consistently every day that you're running, that should get you there in terms of heat exposure um, in there as well while you take a, di- a break, either the day before or two days before. Um, the reason why you don't want to do it too early on, as I mentioned before, is because heat does have a very, very big effect on your body. It's actually one of the reasons why Havelina even though on paper the course is relatively easy compared to like a western states or a mountain race the drop rate is still pretty high on Havelina 100 and the reason why that is, is because people just get smoked by the heat especially because there is zero shade on that course there is not an ounce of shade it is just exposed it is hot um, it is way hotter than where a lot of people kind of train during this time of year so it gets people and so um that's because it overstresses the body and usually when people get to loop three when it's like the peak heat that's where people start to get fucking roasted now using that what we know about that and when we know about heat you can see how that can have an effect on your body and training if you heat train very consistently for months and months and months and months and months on the end it can actually hinder your performance because you are actually just stressing your body so much more now the question i get all the time is dude you live in arizona like aren't you constantly stressing yourself during those time periods um Yes, but I always pare back my intensity a little bit more knowing that I'm going to be running in 100 mile degree heat because um, I don't want to run at the same intensity. When you're doing heat acclimation, you know, you kind of want to run at the similar intensity just so you can get that stress factor in there. Um, But for me, like I always pare back the intensity when I'm running in there. And again, I'm making do with the cards that I have here, here in Arizona. Um, And I know that there is definitely a little bit of benefit that has robbed me because I am training out in the heat number one i'm not using that as an excuse number two it's the cards i'm dealt with it's almost a similar situation as if you were in michigan training for javelin 100 and you don't have access to heat outside um it's just kind of like the cards you're dealt with right so that's just something that i've had to deal with personally in my training i know people training in cold stuff for javelina that's something that they have to deal with and um sometimes you you can't always nail your things perfectly so um that's a big takeaway as well but anyways that would be my heat acclimation protocol even if you're living in a cold area and you're racing javelin 100 Next question, how are you managing the heat and getting calories in? Um, yes, managing the heat is a whole different ballgame, even if you're heat acclimated. So even if you are acclimated to the heat and you feel like you can handle it a lot more, you need to have a strategy to manage the heat on the day. Because no matter what, you're going to be running out there for a long time. You're going to be exposed. You're going to have to manage the heat. And so for me, I always go with topical cooling, topical cooling. And this is what I'm planning to be very, very diligent on Saturday at Havelina 100. Now, I raced this race last year. And uh, last year I actually got 10th mail. I actually did not mention that in the beginning. But um, with that in and itself, um, I was basically cooling like crazy throughout the race and I never felt hot once. I'm planning to do the same thing during this race. So what does that look like? Every aid station that I get to, with the exception of the last loop, which is usually pretty cold, um, I'm going to be dousing myself with cold water, like dousing it all over. I'm going to be taking ice. I'm going to be shoving it inside of arm sleeves, which I'm wearing. And then I'm also going to be wearing an ice ice gator where I'm going to be shoving ice in there. And every single aid station up until the last loop, I'm going to be doing that diligently at every single aid station. Because when you do that, it's going to be super, super helpful. And that, that water, when you douse it on you, is going to evaporate off your skin and that creates a cooling effect. That's why as humans we sweat. We sweat because when we sweat, it creates water on our skin. When there's water on our skin, it'll evaporate and ultimately it'll cool you down. Now, if you live in a humid environment, 
you know it doesn't evaporate as well. But Arizona is very, very dry. So it does evaporate and it does cool. So the best way to cool yourself down is to keep yourself soaking wet throughout the race. The ice is great too because if you put ice in your pressure points, like as I mentioned in my arm sleeves, I put it right on my wrists. And then I have my gaiter, which I put right on my neck. And those are pressure points where if you go ahead and you touch something cold to it, it's actually going to radiate that coldness, or I shouldn't say radiate, but spread that coldness throughout your body a lot more effective than if you were to have it, you know, anywhere else on your body. So the ice really helps with that. And it also melts continuing to wet your um, arm sleeves and your ice gator as well as you're kind of going through that too. Um, so that's my cooling strategy, just being diligent on that. Like, and I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make and not just Havelina, but like hot races is like they don't cool early in the beginning. Like they'll just run past the cooling station on the first loop because it's 60 degrees outside and they totally do it. But by that point, it might be too late. You know, scientific studies actually show that anything over 45 degrees when you're running actually will have an adverse effect on your body. So knowing that, right, if you knowing that, right, if it's 55 degrees out, it still might be beneficial to do some topical cooling, right? So I'm going early. I think that was something that was my benefit last year as I was doing it early when a lot of people were just running past the aid station. Um, doing it early, doing it often, except for that last loop, that's the best way to manage the heat. Now, to getting calories, and this is specifically when it's hot, to getting calories, I generally tend to stick towards liquid calories or gel calories. And the reason why that is is because during the hotter temperatures, um, generally, your body's working a lot more to keep your body at homeostasis. And because of that, there's not as much blood and resources going to your digestive system. And because of that, you can see that there is opportunity for your stomach to go south much more easier during the heat. So to manage that, I like to do some liquid calories um, just because I don't want to put as much stress on my GI system and I can be easily able to, you know, not overwork my intestinal system to get that out as well. Um, I also like the liquid calories as well because it forces me to essentially drink more because I'm taking in more liquids and that's a very, very important thing to do during a very, very hot race. So that's kind of like the strategy that I'm doing on that is going liquid calories um, because it helps me to get into and I'm also supplementing with goo gels too. Now, if I want something solid, I have some backdrop strategies. So I have, <clears throat> excuse me, um, potato chips and bagels and other stuff that I know I can eat. I don't like to touch those too, too much because for me, solid food sometimes doesn't always sit well in my stomach personally. And again, nutrition's a very highly personal thing. Um, but um, for me, I'll have those in there in case like I just really want something solid to eat. Um, last year, I ate a slice of pizza at like the very last aid station. I might do that again this year. Who knows? Um, but regardless, most of my calories will be liquid. And then um, I'm actually going 400 calories an hour. So it sounds aggressive sounds gnarly, but you're actually going to need more calories when you're racing in a hot race because your body's burning much more energy trying to cool you down. So to make sure that I'm avoiding that chance of bonking, um, usually I go 300 calories an hour. This one, I'm going 400 calories an hour, and I've been testing that out on a lot of my long runs, and I feel fantastic with it. So 400 calories an hour, doing liquid calories. By the way, if you're curious, the product that I'm using, not sponsored by them, by the way, is Scratch Super High Carb. Um, so it's, it's uh, 400 calories for seven scoops and 100 grams of carbs um, that's going to be my strategy for that so maybe taking one of those bottles every single hour i'm going to be filling uh roctane up like goo roctane at the aid stations and then supplementing with one goo gel which will round out to about 400 calories and then just kind of keep doing that every single hour and that will uh that will be my strategy for fueling in the heat for javelina 100 
Okay, the next question that I got is, what is your mobility slash strength workouts look like as you get closer to the date? So good question. So recently I've actually been working with a mobility and strength coach uh, here in the Phoenix area. Um, his name's Jesse Holland. He's actually been on the podcast before, um, about a year ago, and he is a movement coach, and I've been working with him because I've been wanting to get stronger and also more mobile when I run as well. So generally with him, I've been working with him for about um, two months now, and before that I was doing a lot of self-prescribed strength exercises and mobility exercises about one time a week. Um, Working with Jesse over the past two weeks, I've been going twice a week, Um, but this week during race week, I only went one time a week, and that was uh, yesterday, which was Tuesday as the recording of this. So usually when I do uh, strength and mobility work kind of leading up to the race, I really only do it, I should say more so strength, one day a week as opposed to ideally two days a week. But even before so, I was doing the one day a week because um, just time restraints and strength and mobility is extremely important. And don't get me wrong, mobility for sure. Um, With strength, um, you know, I, I really think if you have a very, very busy schedule, one time a week, if you're diligent with it, um, can be good enough to help you maintain injury prevention. Ideally, you wanna go two times a week. Um, I know my schedule was just super, super busy a lot this year, so um, I could really only fit in once a week, but as I got closer to the race and um, kind of shifted my schedule around more, um, I switched to a two-day week schedule just to be on top of it. Um, but then I switched to one day a week, all that to say, um, during the last week. And then mobility, I'll do, you know, some movements here and there before the race. Like, you know, we'll do some good mornings and uh, maybe a little bit of mobility, um, just work just to kind of loosen up the mud- muscles right before. Um, in terms of some of the stuff that I do for strength and mobility, so um, strength-wise, I will do um, single leg deadlifts, I'll do step-ups, I'll do squats, I will do... Um, calf raises. Those are generally kind of like the four main exercises that I will target. And then also banded sidewalks. So um, where you take a uh, uh, resistance band, you put it right above your knees, and then you kind of walk laterally side to side. Um, Those are the exercises I generally do from a strength perspective. And then from a mobility perspective, it really just is, I mean, I do it a lot. So um, basically I'll do um, hip bridges. I will do you know, leg lifts. I will do a lot of things with like machines, like where you like, like, I don't know if you ever looked it up called like ankle tantrums or um, hamstring curls, Um, not very high weight at all. It's like very much more so like a mobility kind of thing. Um, But I will do those with my mobility coach and we kind of go through all of those things through that routine. Um, But generally like with the mobility stuff, if you do like a general yoga, um, Uh, for runner's routine, which there's tons of it on YouTube that you can look up. Like that's pretty much um, great to go with. And then strength-wise, if you just do the the simple movements, like I mentioned, single leg deadlifts, step-ups, squats, calf raises, and banded sidewalks, that usually generally hits a lot of the major muscle group areas for you to prevent injury and also get stronger along the way. Um, Even if I'm doing strength during the week of the race, it's not high rep and it's not even high weight it's just more so maintenance kind of stuff so just know that i modify it down a little bit and i usually do it tuesday because i don't want to risk doing it on thursday and for whatever reason i mean i wouldn't say i would get sore but again just to be more um, fresher towards the race generally I'll put it on Tuesday and more of it is very mobility focused, not so much strength focused. So that's kind of like my, um, strength and mobility leading up to the race. 
Uh, next question, what have you changed and kept the same from last year? Great, great question. So I think the biggest thing that I've changed is that um, I'm really, really getting diligent on pacing strategy. And I kind of talked about this early in the episode, but I'm being very, very mindful of that. Last year when I um, ran out in the front um, of the race, like I really wanted to be kind of in contention. This year, when I think about where I'm going to be, I even told my pacers, like ideally I want to be 11th through 20th um, if, you know, if the cards kind of play into the right place. So Last year, I really wanted to be in the top 10 in the beginning of the race um, because I wanted to be in the front. This one, I want to play it a little bit more conservative just so I can hunt towards the end and be strong. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I've changed. Um, another thing I changed is like my ca- what I'm taking in for calories. So although last year I did a lot of liquid calories and goo, I did Gatorade Endurance. This year I changed to Scratch Super High Carb. And the reason why that is is because, quite frankly, I think I exhausted my palate on the Gatorade Endurance. I think with nutrition... For me, like I can only do something for so long until I just get like completely sick of it that I never want to taste it again. When I first got into ultras, I was doing the cliff blocks and man, I was doing those like crazy. Now I can't even eat those things again. I get sick of just thinking about them. Um, And then for, excuse me, about two years, I did Gatorade Endurance both in the Ironman scene and then when I went into ultras for the first time, I was doing a lot of Gatorade Endurance, and then at Black Canyon, it got ruined for me, and I can't do that again, and so recently, I got on the scratch train, so hopefully that sticks with me for like another year, two years or so, so that's something that I've changed um, from the last year, Um, and I'm trying to think of anything else that I've really changed. Um, No, I mean, like, I think a lot of it's pretty much the same. I think this year, I've also gotten a lot more diligent with the strength and mobility, like, um, like I was kind of mentioning before, that was a big thing too, because I've realized how important that stuff is, um, how that shouldn't be skimped upon and how that can lead to better mechanics when you come to running. So um, I think that's a big thing that I've changed. Um, What I'm keeping the same from last year is my cooling strategy. It was so on point last year, it was great. Definitely not changing that at all. Um, I'm even bringing the same crew chief that I did last year. So Aaron, who was my crew chief last year, he helped me through some of my darkest moments last year. I'm bringing him back. He's going to be amazing. Um, So I'm definitely bringing him back. And then I'm also bringing back that competitive drive to get that golden ticket. Like, I think um, I really get into this mode where I get super competitive and super in the mindset of I want to go out there and win. And um, I want to take names. I want to shock the world. I want to do all those things. And I know it can seem a little aggressive. And I, you know, I probably will get into modes where I kind of get into this game face mode out there. Um, and I'm going to keep that because it keeps me driving. It keeps me pushing. I remember last year I was in such pain at Javelina hundred at mile 60. Like my legs were just fried, but I honed into that competitive spirit and, and knowing that I needed to push. And that helped me to keep running even when my legs were absolutely toasted and fried. So, um, I'm going to keep that this year. I'm keeping that mojo going, baby. It's going to be freaking awesome. And, uh, I'm super, super stoked for that. Next question. Do you have the race costume and kit ready? So yeah, uh, I, you know, it's funny because I, I weighed the idea of doing with a costume. Um, you know, I don't know if this is going to be taken the wrong way, but this is this is genuinely how I kind of feel about this year. Um, I, yes, I'm I'm excited to go out there and have fun on race day. But to me, this uh, this race to me is um, is something more than just kind of having a fun time. And and I'm not saying that uh, you know 
anyone who races a race has to go in all business and you know uh just kind of going with it but i know it's going to take me this year and um uh yeah i'm gonna have fun but at the same time like i really just want to I want to lock in. I want to. I want to really put my head down on this one, and uh, and really focus deep. And so because of that, I'm not getting like too overly worried about like the the costume I'm wearing or anything like that. I know. I know probably some people are like, oh man, like why are you being you know, not fun and shit. But like, um, I think last year I had my fun and last year was great and I'm glad I had that experience. This year I'm I'm gonna have to dig and I wanna I wanna do it. And it might sound like I'm taking it too seriously. I'm really not. And um. But I, I I know the level of focus and drive that it's going to kind of take this year, and I, I really want to hone in on that. Um, so, yeah, as I'm being kind of honest with that, that's that's the, the mindset I want to bring. I kind of want to bring this, like, intense um, version of myself that I've been kind of saving for race day um, that I want to get out there. And I always suggest with people, like, you know, sometimes, like, we get – really if you are really competitive and listening to these things um in the day-to-day i think it's not a healthy way to live your life if you're just like always in this like crushing attitude and everything like we want to have fun we want to enjoy the things we want to do all those things however if you want to harness that energy save it for race day so i keep telling myself like when i get these like these itches or like something like that i've been telling myself a mantra save it for saturday save it for saturday save it for saturday um and better yet i'm going to save it for really loop three because loop one and two i don't want to be super competitive i'll be fun i'll have a chat and everything like that but this year means business like that's kind of like my uh my my mantra for this saturday is this year means business and um I, I want to do that. And so I know that might sound very intense. And like I said, I, it's not something that I suggest all my athletes that I work with to like go in, into a, if, if people want to genuinely have fun and that's what they like get energy off of, like, please, by all means, please do so. Um, I'm just more so speaking from personal experience for me, but saying like, I want it to mean business on Saturday. So all that saying, like, I'm, I'm not getting too worried about the, uh, I, I'm dressing more for comfort and performance, uh, as opposed to the costume. So the race kit's going to be, I'm going to be wearing a Nike dry fit shirt, the classic forever young shirt, which people have seen me wear multiple times. I've gotten asked like, what does that forever young mean? So just kind of quick story on that. My really good friend, one of my best friends, Anthony Yumina, guy who I did my first 50k ultra with and did the first Ironman with together. And I've done tons of endurance challenges with him. He's just such a good friend. He made that shirt, um, in honor of his dad who, uh, unfortunately passed away, but, um, it was, uh, Forever Young was in memory of him and living a spirit of Forever Young. It was also a reference to a Bob Dylan song. And I just love the message of, you know, being Forever Young, no matter what your age is, like having that mentality. And so um, I love the shirt um, and I love the message and I wear that a lot. So I'll be wearing that a lot out there. Um, And I like the Nike dry fit because even though it is dry fit, it does stay pretty wet out there. So when I am, um, you know, cooling myself, it stays good too. Shorts wise, I'm wearing the Lululemon uh, pace break shorts, uh, linerless. I like the linerless shorts because usually line shorts chafe me. That's me personally. So I'm wearing that this year. And then shoes wise, I'm wearing the Nike Ultrafly. Um, I love these shoes. They are incredible. Um, carbon plated trail shoe, um, super fast, super light. Um, and I'm ready to rock and roll with that. A lot of times people do wear road shoes for Javelina, but I decided to go trail shoe just because I like the extra confidence 
um, that I get from the lugs out there. And I did a whole post on this on Instagram, but if you are looking, deciding between road shoe or trail shoe in a race, the answer is it depends on what you're most comfortable with. And so for me, while a lot of people are going road shoe and they think that trail might be overkill for the race itself, for me, it just gives me more peace of mind to run knowing that I have some extra traction and lug in there. So I'm willing to take the extra weight on my feet um, to get that extra confidence knowing that if I'm bombing it downhill or if I'm um, you know climbing up something really fast that I know that I have that extra support on me to not fall. Um, so that's going to be my race kit. And uh, yeah, now you know my mantra of this is going to be business. Um, next question. How is this mindset? Uh, how is the mindset going to this 100 mile after multiple golden tickets attempts this year? Another great question. So um, if you've been following along my journey this year, I've been going, this is my third attempt this year at the golden ticket, fourth attempt overall. Uh, my first attempt was last year at Havelina 100, a 10th place male, so nine spots behind. Um, and then the last two times were both Black Canyon 100K and um, Canyon's 100K. Both races did not go great. <laughs> they they both did not go great for me, and I learned a lot along the way. Black Canyon was actually my first 100K, and then Canyon's was my second 100K, and that was my first race with a lot of vert. Um, so I learned a lot in both of those races for sure, and I got humbled. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because, like, Black Canyon, I was coming in with, like, a really, I was really confident on that day. Like I really, really believed I could get the golden ticket. Um, and then canyons, I, um, I came into that race, like knowing I wanted to get the ticket, but I wanted, I wanted to have fun out there and enjoy it too. Like it was more less pressure for me. Um, and it was interesting because that one, I actually did the worst, um, out of any golden ticket attempt that I've did. And I don't, I don't think there's a correlation with that mindset because as I talked about in the recap, there was a lot of personal and stuff I was going through before that race that, um, I think just weighed on me, um, just from an energy perspective. So, um, I think that Canyons thing was a different thing, but how the mindset's comparing for the first two golden tickets, like this one, I think I'm kind of going into it with the most intense mindset I've had out of the three races, the most focused mindset. Um, whereas like kind of in the other two, I was either like, I want to say maybe Black Canyon, I was overly confident. Um, and then like Canyons, I was, I was stoked, but I like kind of also had this like loosey goosey, like, let's just go in there and see what happens. Um, this mindset for Havelina, I'm feeling focused and ready to go. So that's going to be my mindset kind of going into this one. Uh, next question. How do you feel uh, going into Havelina race this year versus last year? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question because I... I feel just as confident as I did last year at Javelina. Um, I even feel a little bit more confident for sure. Um, I would actually say, thinking about it now, I, I feel more confident because I've done the race before. I know the distance. I know the course. I'm excited to get out there and uh, ready to rip. So I feel a little bit more confident. Um, I also feel much more excited for it because last year when I was training for Javelina 100, I ran on that course every single weekend. And while it was great to get the familiarity of the whole course, um, you know, you run that course 30 times, you got to run it five more times on race day consecutively. At the end of that race, I was like, fuck this loop. I'm never running this again. I, I literally said that. I remember crossing the finish line. I was like, I'm never racing that loop again. Here we are a year later racing it five more times in the desert. But um, this year I had been traveling so much and um, I've actually been running on a lot more other trails out here. Um, 
So because of that, I'm excited to get back out on that course. Um, whereas before it was like, hey, this is just another day. So I think that excitement and stoke is really coming through as well. But even though I'm feeling more confident and more excited, I also feel more nervous than I did last year. And the reason why I think I feel just more nervous is because um, if I'm just being fully transparent, like, I mean, this is um, my third attempt going after a golden ticket this year where the first two have not gone as well. And um, I think it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, I really want to nail this right. But what's helping me calm these nerves and usually what I do when, um, you know, my clients are coming to me and they're saying, hey, like I'm feeling nervous about this race, I want to get it right, is I'm falling into the things of, I don't have to get it right on that day, I just have to manage what's going wrong right enough. And I think that's the biggest mindset shift that I'm kind of having to kind of piggyback on the other question is like, I'm not trying to hope for everything to go right. I'm more so trusting in myself to make things right when things go wrong. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can do as an endurance athlete when we're out there um, is not necessarily just wanting things to be right. It's, it's trusting in our ability to correct things when it's wrong. So anytime I kind of get that, like, you know, my brain starts to like, go in the direction of like, oh man, I got to nail this. I got to get this right. I just got to say, no, I just got to trust myself to fix it when things go wrong to make it right. And uh, that's what's helping me get through it. So that's kind of like my mindset compared from last year to this year. And um, yeah, man, going forward for that too. Next question, um, how is training different? How will you execute different? Any changing? Any changes there? Um, yeah, great question. So how is training different? So um, I think, like, like I kind of mentioned this before, training was different this year versus last year um, because this year I didn't get as much core specific training in, um, mostly because like for me, I just wanted to kind of uh, build a better fitness base um, than I did last year. And, and that's not to say like it had to be core specific, but what I meant by that was um, I was just more so focused on you know, I, I was less putting pressure on doing core specificity and I was more putting um, goals on let's just get fit. And so like for me, like, I mean, the Havelina course is an hour long away for me. So I would like literally get in my car for an hour, run out there, get in our car for another hour, drive back and like it would be a whole ordeal. But here I would just say, hey, I'm just gonna run on the bike path out my door and just focus on getting in the miles, focus on getting in the time on feet, focus on getting in the workouts that I need to do, right? Um, as opposed to just like modifying my schedule just to get on the course. So I really wanted to be more fit because I knew that in order for me to get the golden ticket, especially in a sport that is evolving and getting so much more fitter, I have to be fitter. And so for in order for me after being fitter, I have to not only prioritize that fitness in there, but I also need to um, leave room in my schedule for other things such as sleep and recovery and um, eating right and everything like that. And when you're taking two hours to drive, um, that, you know, I know it sounds small, but for me, I have an incredibly busy schedule and that two hours um, can make up a lot of different things for me. So that was like the biggest thing that was different in training. Other than that, in terms of like a programming perspective and things like that, a lot of it was generally the same, but I just took more of a focus around the fitness as opposed to core specificity, which last year I really, really was so focused on core specificity. And what I've learned over the past few years is like, in the end of the day, like core specificity is only going to get you five to 6% of the stuff, but the 95% of the stuff is going to be that fitness. So that's kind of the biggest thing what I've been going on here. And that was the, the, the biggest difference in 
in training, I would say. Um, how will I execute differently? Like I said before, I'm not going to go out of the gun ripping fast. Um, I'm going to play a pretty conservative in the beginning. Uh, I know it's funny because the person who uh, asked this question, recently I heard him pull up a stat saying that you had to be at pretty much in the front to have a, a shot at uh, you know kind of being up there. Um, you know, I'm looking to pull the Scott Trayer approach and kind of come from behind. But again, I don't want to be anywhere further than 20th place in the beginning. Um, I want to be anywhere between 11 and 20 and then just kind of pick people up from there. Um, so though, that's kind of the change in how I'm looking to execute. Other than that, a lot of the stuff is the same. Uh, I will say, I think another thing from execution, last year, I really, really was not good with um, aid station efficiency. I sat down at a lot of aid stations. I would go to the aid stations, I would sit down for five to 10 minutes, which was bad, horrendous, not good. And um, if you listen to the episode that I did with Zach, he was going through my splits last year and he was like, hey, like there's some of these miles that are like 18 minute miles. And I'm assuming that's because you, you were at an aid station for that long. He was like, if you took all those aid stations and just walked out of there, you don't really have to drop your average pace down by that much to just improve. And I was like, holy shit, that's actually true. So for me, it's all about aid station efficiency this year. Get in, fill my water bottles, eat if I need to, and get the fuck out. Even if I have to eat something or if I need some time to recover, just walk the fuck out. Um, so that's gonna be the really, really big focus for me this year is just get in, get out, don't sit the fuck down. Um, yeah, I'm basically making, uh, I kind of told uh, Aaron, who's my crew chief, I was like, the mantra for that, one of the mantras is fuck the chair. So if I'm asking for a chair, fuck the chair. That's like, that's kind of the whole mantra on that one. So that's another big thing that I'm doing differently this year. Um, follow up question from the same person. What are you most unsure about in your plan and why? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, although I run a run conservative from the beginning, I, I am definitely a little unsure about that because again, like if I want to get a golden ticket, I know the sport's going to get fast. I know that the field is competitive. I know that, you know, for a lot of these golden ticket races, the common theme has been, you have to be in contention right up the jump in order to even have a shot. And so like for me, um, that's the one thing I'm unsure about. I will say that like in a hundred miles, that is definitely more in the favor of the conservative mindset because it is such a long distance. But, um, even though I'm the most unsure about that, I'm still pretty confident that it's going to be the right strategy for me. I mean, like even so, as I look at it, right? So last year, my first two loops, I think the first loop was, I ran it in a 735 pace and the second loop was like 759 pace. And then like the third loop uh, was like 845. And then the fourth loop, I think was like, I don't know, 1045. And the last loop was like 12 minutes. So it was like a really, really fat split. And I think the overall, um, average pace last year for my race was 10 minute miles. And it's crazy because if I ran just consistent nine minute miles for hundred miles, which I know I can easily do, you PR. And so um, although I am unsure about that plan, I, I, I know that it's gonna lead to good results for sure. So that is definitely what I'm gonna be focusing on for sure out there, absolutely. Uh, nutrition strategy. I already covered the nutrition strategy. Um, this is the next question, by the way. Um, I'll cover the hydration strategy though. Um, so for hydration strategy, um, what I'm doing is I'm planning on taking on a liter and a quarter every hour. So 1.25 liters every single hour and 1200 milligrams of salt. Um, I know it sounds like a lot, but um, that's what my body needs to really be sustainable out there and really be hydrated. So um, I'm going to be taking that in like crazy. And so the sodium 
is going to be taken through the scratch that I'm having that has 400 milligrams of sodium. And then I'll be taking uh, three salt pills, or sorry, four salt pills, which each have um, about 200 milligrams of sodium in it every single hour. And then um, when I refill on the goo roctane on the course and use the gels, um, I will get the sodium from there and then I'll supplement with salt pills as well. So that's basically how I'm gonna get in those um, sodium every single hour to make sure I hit that 1200 mark. And then what I'm gonna be carrying, so I'm still undecided. Um, right now I'm, uh, I'm going to be carrying, at least I'm thinking about um, two 21 ounce hard shell Camelback uh, quick grip chill water bottles. Um, that's what I did last year and I love that. I might switch to soft flasks, Hydropack uh, sky flasks, um, but I'm still kind of like on the fence about that, which I probably should think about that soon given that the race is in a few days, but we'll see. Um, Basically, what it's going to come down to is like how comfortable it's going to be in my hands. Because sometimes, as, although I love those Camelback ones so much, it is a hard grip, and so sometimes it can be like kind of annoying to hold in the hand. So um, I'm just I'm, I'm kind of weighing those things out. But regardless, the hydration strategy: 1.25 liters an hour, 1,200 milligrams of salt. That's how it's going to go. Um, heat and sun. Um, I kind of talked about heat and sun strategy earlier. So um, yeah, there's all that stuff. Uh, next question. Oh man, I lost this on Instagram. Hold on. Uh, how do you feel after pacing all those miles with Sally at Moab? Is your body fully recover? Is your body recovered to its fullest for hobbling a hundred? Yes, I truly believe it's fully recovered. I've been diligent on sleep. I've been diligent with um, recovery. I've been diligent with the mobility, and so I'm feeling very, very good. I made sleep a number one priority after doing all those pacing miles. Um, and physically, I don't think it really taxed me. It was more so just like the sleep deprivation that really kind of hit me hard. Um, but um, yeah, I'm feeling ready to go. Physically, I'm feeling fine. Uh, no niggles. Um, feeling good. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling just physically some of the best that I've ever felt out there. So it's going to be really, really cool. Um, next question would be curious of nutrition slash diet during your training. Yeah. Great question. So, um, calories, food, eating times, all that kind of stuff. So generally I think like Monday, Monday's usually my rest day. And then Tuesday through Friday, I'm generally doing like small to medium runs and I'll probably burn about like a thousand calories on top of my normal calorie burn of 2000. So I'll generally burn like 3000 calories Tuesday through Friday each day. And so usually I try to eat within parity on that. So, uh, if I'm burning 3000 calories, I will usually eat 3000 calories with the exception of Friday. Friday, I'll actually usually eat a thousand calories more in order to prep for my long run the next day. Um, because usually in the long runs, I'll burn anywhere between a total of like, you know, 5,500 to 7,000 calories for the day. So um, I wanna make sure to have a little bit more extra calories. So I'll kind of do that in there as well. Um, so usually on the weekends, I'll eat anywhere between 5,500 to 7,000 calories um, on the long run days, just to make sure that I'm in there. I usually try and go by parity because I don't wanna lose weights during high volume kind of training and also high intensity training. I'm not, uh, I don't think it's, it, it, it's something, well, I shouldn't say think. It really is backed by science to say like you don't want to lose too much weight during running because it can lead to stress fractures, decreased performance, decreased energy. And so for me, I'm just not willing to um, do that. And I, I I don't think it's necessary to like lose weight um, while you're training for an ultra because again, like I think the risks far outweigh the benefits. Um, so if 
what I do plan on doing, and I will just make this thing here, I do plan on um, cutting some weights for uh, in the off season when I'm not training, which is going to be after Javelina. So I do plan on um, getting uh, getting down a little bit in the weight, um, mostly just because um, I did put on a little bit of weight this year, um, and I just want to get more so down. Um, and again, I say all this to say, like, you know, it's you don't have to lose weight to be a good runner. You don't have to be super skinny to be a good runner. Like none of that stuff matters. The reason why I just want to do it is because last year at Javelina, um, I weighed a certain weight and like that weight to me is like where I feel like I'm my healthiest. And so um, I want to just bring it down again. And the reason why I haven't knocked it down to that is because I've pretty much been in hard training from January to up until this point. And um, I just didn't want to go through the risks of losing weight during hard training and put myself in a compromised position. So um, I want to get back to where I was last year at Javelina weight-wise. And um, that's what I want to do. But I say this again, like, please, please, please do not think that you have to be a certain weight to run. Do not feel like you have to be skinny. Like, like all that stuff is, is, is BS. And it leads to a lot of just unfortunate things such as eating disorders and body dysmorphia and everything like that. So I want to give that caveat in there, um, in case anyone was listening, um, because I don't think it's a, it's a necessary thing to do. This is just a personal choice I'm making based on my past experience, um, and where I'm at as well. Um, also in that answer to, um, eating times during training. So generally, once I finish a run, um, I always try and eat within 20 minutes after the run just to refuel my body as much as possible. And generally what I like to do is I like to do a ratio of three to one with carbs so uh, and protein. So for every three grams of carb I have, I like to have one gram of protein. And generally the amount will kind of depend on how much I've ran. So usually if I'm doing one of my runs Tuesday through Friday, I'll generally look to get in 500 calories with a three to one uh, ratio of carbs to protein. And then generally for long runs after that, I'll probably do like an 1000 calorie meal like right after. So something big, something hearty. I always try and eat as clean as possible, but I also do like to indulge in stuff. So I might eat some pizza. I might eat some cookies. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a human too. Um, but I always try and eat, you know, as clean as possible. A lot of veggies, fruits, um, acai bowls. I'm a, a sucker for a good acai bowl. So um, I put that in there as well. So um, that's generally like the timing and kind of what I was eating throughout the um, training plan. Last question on here. How accurate are ultra sign up time predictions? Should I pace to that time if it seems too fast? Yeah, so I love the people at ultra sign up. I love the team at ultra sign up. They're great. And so I say this with all due respect. Fuck the ultra sign up prediction times. Uh, yeah, don't, I wouldn't even follow it. So um, don't even follow that. Uh, it's, it's based on a computer algorithm that, you know, can take into results that, you know, might have not be indicative of your best days and all this kind of stuff that, you know, might not really be a true indication of where you are in your fitness. And like, here's the way that I look at it is like, if you've gotten fit within the past year and it's only taking results that you've had for the past, you know, three years or so to say, um, it's not a good indication because in, in essence, it actually would give you a slower time. So for me, I would say, don't even pay attention to that number. Um, go with the plan that you are looking to execute in terms of the paces that you are setting for yourself on race day. And that's going to be what you should follow. Like for me, like the fucking ultra sign up time, I think says like, I don't know, like 1624, which is, I, I don't know exactly, but it was somewhere in that range, which is only 10 minutes, um, uh, uh, faster than what I ran last year. Um, 
yeah, I, like, with all the, the stuff that I've been doing, it's, it's impossible for me to even think that I can, um, if, if I were to run like in the same race that I did last year with the fitness I am now, that it would get the same thing. I shouldn't say it's impossible, but very unlikely. So I say all that to say, don't get caught up with that ultrasound prediction score. Fuck that score. Um, follow the plan that you're going to execute for your own race day. And uh, don't let ultrasound tell you what you should or should not be running out there. So that is my kind of opinion on that. All right. Well, I guess like some last thoughts. So right now it's a uh, Wednesday night. I'm about to start uh, packing up all my stuff for the crew and uh, getting that ready to rock. So um, what I got on for the next day, I kind of told you, got a nice easy run tomorrow. I might run on Friday depending on how I'm feeling, but not putting pressure on myself. And then Saturday running 100 miles. Um, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling stoked. Yeah, I got a little bit of nervous energy, but you know what? If you're not a little bit of nervous or scared towards the goals you're going to, I, I truly believe that the goal may be not big enough. So um I'm excited. I'm excited. It's going to be fun out there. Again, if you're going to be a bid pickup, please come say hi to me. I'm going to be there all day. And uh, I know I've got a lot of people reaching out on Instagram saying that they're looking out for me. I will be there. I can't wait to see you. Um, if you are going to be there too, message me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. I'll be more than happy to help and uh, get you rocking and rolling from there too. And uh, yeah, we, we can make a plan to meet for sure. But Anyways, my friends, um, if you are racing Javelina this weekend, best of luck to you. I'm rooting for you. I'm cheering for you. I believe in you. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help before the race, uh, Instagram me uh, at Joe Corsione. Or you can send me an email at everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to help. Um, I want to see you live your best race. And if you're not racing Javelina, um, best of luck in whatever you're training for now, or if you're in the off season, have a great off season, whatever you're doing right now, just know that I believe in you. I'm rooting for you. I care for you. And that, uh, I'm, I'm just so honored that, you know, you take the time to listen to me to help yourself be a better endurance athlete every day. Cause that's my mission in life. And, uh, to, to see you out there doing it is amazing. And by the way, thank you everyone who always reaches out about the support for the podcast and the love. Like seriously, it means the absolute world to me and know that getting those messages just, um, makes my day and I'm always here to serve you. So that's it folks. It's time to race hundred miles, time to get out there and rip it and, uh, and have some fun. But remember, Saturday means business. This 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 year means business, right? That's my mantra. And if you uh, see me on the live stream asking for a chair, just scream through your screen, fuck the chair, Joe, fuck the chair. So <laughs> anywho, all right, I need to start packing for Javelina tomorrow as I'm going to be putting down my crew stuff. Um, but thank you all for listening. I appreciate you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your week. If you're racing Javelina, go get them and we'll talk soon. And remember, be a better endurance athlete every day. Take care, my friends.